Hello and welcome. This is a podcast by 2WA Consulting and Birmingham and Michael House. Today we're going to focus on some important areas related to managing people. And in particular, we want to talk about relationship bank, delegation, and how to create a culture of accountability. We thought we'd make this podcast about things that people have said, wow, that really helped. And why don't you start off with uh, delegating and uh, we'll go from there. You know, I think delegation is such an important topic because it's important to be able to do it well when you're managing virtually, as well as when you're managing in person. One of the things that we certainly get a lot of feedback about is that there are 10 steps to delegation. And most people don't seem to know that or have never really been taught how to delegate. A lot of times what people do is something we call dumping. They just take stuff that they don't want to do and dump it on someone else or blind trust. They just hand it over and cross their fingers and hope that the person is uh, going to deliver. Or what happens even more often, we find, is that people keep tasks that they should be delegating. They keep it because it takes too much time or they're too worried it's not going to be done right. And so there's a lot of um, poor delegation or lack of delegation in the workplace. But we're going to tell you how to do it and the steps to accomplish it. We often hear back from people, they'll say, it is faster to do it myself or I'm not sure they'll, they'll do it as well as I would, which reinforces for us is the fact that people just see delegating as trying to get more work done. Whereas we want you to see it as a development task. Give some, all of a given task, set of tasks to someone who needs to learn how to do it. They may not do it perfectly, but if they get it often enough, they will definitely get better at it. And that's the whole point of delegation. You can think about it as there's three main things you need to do. So the first thing is before you approach anyone, you have to identify the task to be delegated And as Michael said, it can be part of a task or a whole task. You need to figure out what is the outcome that you want to see when the person completes it. Is it that you'd like them to complete a draft presentation with just the content in it? Would you like them to have 10 ideas on a piece of paper of how to improve your meetings? But think about it and what is the outcome that you need. And then the third thing to do before you approach anyone is identify who you're going to delegate to. And one of the things that happens in a lot of organizations that we see is that people spend, if they do delegate, they delegate to their star and they overwork the star and they don't um, take time to develop others. So we certainly recommend that you think carefully about who you're going to delegate to. And those are the three things you do before you approach the individual. So once you've done that, so you've, you've picked the person, you figured out it's something that more of a developmental task, doesn't matter if it's done perfectly, maybe you've given it to someone who's relatively new. Whatever the case may be, you've decided, you know what it is you're looking for. Now you go to them and then you have to delegate in a certain way for them to be successful. If the first part is three steps there, the middle part, if you like, of delegating is uh, five different steps. First of all, you have to explain what's the assignment. What is it I want you to do? And more importantly, what does it look like when it's done the way it should be done? What's the outcome? Because maybe they'll do it differently than you do. But as long as it looks like what you expect, that's what you want to make clear to them. You have to explain the benefits of doing it. You're not trying to rationalize while you're delegating. It's not that. But if you want to really engage people, say, this is an important task for you to learn. You know, this is something that if you learn this, there are other projects you can do. You tell them that they will learn something. They will gain uh, knowledge that they didn't have before. Insights, perhaps, to, to the point that they engage well, such that 
they'll do a better job than if they're not engaged. And the other thing is you can either tell them the benefits for themselves, like Michael just outlined. The other one is you could tell them the benefit of the organization. It may seem like a tedious task, but to be able to outline that it's all part of our continuous improvement strategy. Connected to the bigger picture, most people tell us that very few people take the time to explain how it connects to other things. You can either explain the benefits to the individual or why it's an important task in terms of the organization. So now let me get on to the next three steps, and this is this will appeal to all of you managers who have control issues. And if you are a manager, you have control issues. It's why you, you took the job. Specify your standards. What's the level of quality that you're looking for? Are you looking for something that's, you know, a few bullet points on a page so you can build a communicate? Are you looking for a full-fledged report? You know, does it have to be of a quality? It's going to say a senior management group or a city council or something like that. Tell people the quality so that they don't give you something kind of informal when you're expecting a highly formalized report, for instance. That's the one, the one part, which is now step six. Number seven is what are the deadlines? I need it by Friday. I need it by June 1st. I need it by five o'clock today. doesn't matter what it is. Make sure your deadlines are reasonable for the amount of work that, that it's going to take. And if it's a long task, if it's a month or even a week or more, break down some milestones along the way. I need this Friday. Let's check in Tuesday afternoon just to see if you're on track and we'll talk again Thursday. And by that way, you'll have a chance to check in. They'll have a chance to bounce things off you. You'll be comfortable that you aren't going to be disappointed at quarter to five on Friday when you don't get your report. So it allows you to check in. And then number eight, establish a reporting method. Drop me an email. Just give me a text. Let's have a meeting for an hour. Whatever it happens to be, be clear on how you need to be reported in both on the milestones and then the final deliverable as well. You know, Email me this particular document, this plan, this process, this Gantt chart in email format by five o'clock Friday is fine. Whatever it is, is okay. As long as you're clear, the piece has been delegated, the deliverable is there. What are the last two steps? So the last two steps are to evaluate how the person did. That was an eight out of 10. That was exactly what I was looking for. Explaining to them, giving them some of that feedback and appreciating that what they have accomplished. And this is such a wonderful moment to do some coaching. Only takes two minutes, but you can say, what did you learn when you did this task? Or if you were gonna do this task again, what would you do the same? What would you do differently? It's a chance to get the individual to reflect on what they're doing well, and it's a chance for you to give a little bit of meaningful feedback so that they see that their work was appreciated or they understand how they could do it a little bit better the next time. If we put all that together, Michael, I know that sometimes if I hear 10 steps to anything, I think it's quite long and, and too long for me. So let's demonstrate that. I'm gonna illustrate what it might sound like if one was delegating to someone. So I've already picked out the person, I've identified the outcome, and I've figured out the right person. So now I'm in front of them, and let me pretend that it's you, Michael. Michael, I'm wondering if you could identify three ways that we could improve our podcasts. And I think that's really important because we're continuously having people listen to them and we are learning as we go. So I think that would be a really critical thing. But, you know, I'm thinking when you talk about three ways to improve it, I, I mean, I wouldn't spend more than two hours on the on the task. And let's just, when we meet next week, come with some ideas on a piece of paper, one piece of paper, not a big extensive research project. It would be fantastic if you took that on for us. If you're agreeable and it works with your deadlines, why don't we connect 
with a draft on Monday and then meet on Thursday to, to look at the final product. That nails the steps. I'll, I'll quibble and a little bit of this is style and style is different than mine. I wonder if you'd like to, I need you to do this. You'll decide exactly where you line up on that. But if you need them to do it, make sure you're appropriately firm. If it's truly, you're going to give it to them or give it to someone else. Okay. But my guess is if you've gone to all this trouble, you need them to do it. And you should be, I'll say, as I say, appropriately firm that they are going to do it. Certainly give them flexibility on timelines. If they're busy, that's okay. If you're going to delegate, follow through. I wanted to circle back for just a moment on specify your standards, Michael, that you spoke to. And one of the things that I'll say to many of the people that we coach or work with is probably the most important resource you manage is people's time. So letting people know when you give a task that you'd like them to spend three hours, 10 hours a week on it is really critical information. What we find in a lot of organizations is if you don't specify, they assume you want the Cadillac. They assume that you want the longest, biggest way of going forward. So instead, if you're able to say, don't take more than an hour looking at this or researching this for us. And so think about people's time as as money and be really clear and specify your standards of how much time you want someone to spend on a task as you go along. The other thing I just wanted to flag was we were talking about deadlines. And if you do have some fears that someone's not going to do exactly what you're looking at, the best thing to do is have that check-in along the way before the final product. It does a couple different things. If they're off track, you've got time to correct it. Two, it gives you some assurance that it's on its way. And three, it enables you not to micromanage because if you have a check-in that you're going to get something emailed to you by Wednesday, you don't then hover on Monday and Tuesday. How's the task going? Is everything there? You get out of the way till the check-in and then you go forward. And we find that works very, very well. That's reminding me of a couple of the coaching calls I did last week with uh, some clients. Now, coaching call, by the way, is us checking in by phone or Zoom with people who are taking part in one of our training programs. It's, it's a, a little bit of accountability. It's a lot help desk. You may have tried something, it didn't quite work, and then people bounce it off me, you know, how to apply it, what to say, what not to say. It seems to work quite well. One of the people I was talking to, he said, boy, as soon as I heard that delegating thing, I went to my boss and said, I'm not delegating enough. I'm doing too much of the work of the people that report to me. I'm not going to do that anymore. I want you to tell me if you see me doing it. And his boss was visibly impressed. Went, sure, absolutely. It doesn't always work quite this way. But for that particular individual, it was a bit of an aha moment where he all of a sudden got more of a sense of what it means to manage, which which is often a key aha moment of delegating, what it means to manage others, to get more work done with your hands in your pocket, so to speak, rather than doing it all yourself. And for him, it was a real leap up in terms of how he saw himself. Maybe folks didn't realize this, but for each of the people you work with or that you know, you can think of them as an ATM machine. You don't make deposits or withdrawals of money. You do it with elements of the relationship. You do things for people or people do things for you. And in so doing, you, so to speak, build a balance. Yeah. So you can think about it when you follow through with a task and get it done as promised, you actually make a deposit in that person's relationship bank. If you take a few moments to just reach out and ask them how they're doing, you likely take put some money in that relationship bank. So relationships are dynamic. You have the ability to build up or unfortunately you might at times take money out. Things that take money out, all of a sudden you got to change priorities. We've had this crisis and need you now to go from doing this to that. It's inevitable, but it probably will take some money out of that person's relationship bank. Or you have to introduce a change and it causes them to have to lose a little bit of their comfort with the old routine 
again, it takes money out. Michael, why don't you share why we find the relationship bank so meaningful for people once they understand the concept? Well, I think it's important to realize that as much as you may be a supervisor with direct reports, people still have a certain, probably large degree of latitude about how hard they're going to work for you. Whether they're going to jump in, fully engage, give it their all, or whether they're going to maybe go through the motions and appear to be doing something and not really achieve much. Now, there's many reasons why either of those situations might be the case, but if you don't have a good relationship with each of the people that reports to you on a working basis, somewhat friendly, certainly, somewhat interpersonal, but certainly solid from a business perspective, you aren't going to, we use the word a lot, engage them. You certainly aren't going to motivate them, excite them, provide them the vision that they need. People want that in a supervisor. And the more you can spend time with them, filling up their bank balance, so to speak, the more you are likely to have a more effective team. So when you do on a Friday afternoon say, listen, I need you to stay an hour too late because X has happened, they're more likely to go, yeah, sure, no problem, versus sorry, can't do it. You don't want to be at a point where you find out the state of the relationship as measured by, am I in the black or am I in the red at quarter to five on Friday when you really need people to stay for another hour. You want to know it in advance. So we think proactivity is the key word here. And if you take that a little bit further, there's been research that show you need a five to one ratio. So if you're in a role as a manager, you need many more deposits in your bank with each person than you do if you're not in management. So one of the things to think about is, you know, what have I done this week that put deposits in people's banks? And could I do a little bit more? And I'll use an example from one of our coaching calls this past week. I was talking to someone and he told me that he has not received a single phone call from his manager since the start of COVID. He said, oh, I get tons of emails, but he said, never called and just said, hi, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help you? And so he used that example for to me as a great example of a withdrawal. But, you know, just take a moment to think about your week. Are you doing everything you can to put some really meaningful deposits in everyone that you work with bank? Because the more you put in, the more that you will eventually receive. We're not talking being overly friendly or getting people to like you. That's not what this is about. This isn't merely, this is to say, a good working relationship with lots of respect on both sides, perhaps some genuine affection on both sides, but a certain comfort level that people like working with and for you and you like working with and for them, so to speak. And that's really difficult at times to do, given the different personalities you might be managing, but it's well worth the effort. Here's some practical examples of deposits you can do. One is what we call follow-up Friday. Just make a commitment that on Friday, you're going to take an hour and you're going to follow up with all the people who you have tasks that are in progress, not yet finished. And just give them a heads up. By the way, I'm working on that request you asked me of. I'm three quarters of the way along. This is where things are at. And that proactivity really is appreciated. Or take a few minutes to give some feedback and provide someone with some really clear information about what you appreciate and what skill you want to reinforce that they did well. There are so many ways to just take a little extra time and put some money in the relationship bank. And the, one of the reasons this is so, so important is that there are so many managers out there, especially in these COVID times, who are in overdraft with the people that report to them. So they don't have enough money in those banks and consequently, and they're not putting new money in. 
And that can cause some really difficult relationships. The same is true on a team. Michael and I just recently worked with a team that were in significant overdraft with each other. So it gets to the point then where people barely want to say hello or get on a call with the person. They just want to email because they have so little money. So be proactive, get money in your relationship banks, and you will find some great rewards for that. Well, here's a task we give people as an exercise. Think of four people you work with. For each of those four people, estimate how much money you think you have in the bank. And here's a simple way to do that. If you had three plus marks, you would have lots of money in the bank with that person. You can ask them a number of different tasks. They'll be happy to do it. Or maybe you only have two pluses, or maybe you only have one plus, or maybe you have a zero. So there's a scale there from zero to plus to say if you're in the black, if you've got money in the bank. On the other side, you could say, I've got three minuses. I'm so overdrawn with this person. I'm constantly asking them for things to do. I don't really check in with them. I don't ask if they're busy. I just keep giving them things to do. Or maybe not quite so bad, your two minus signs or one minus sign. Again, it's just, it's just a way to demonstrate a sliding scale. For each of those four people, give them a score. Anything from a plus three plus marks down to three minus marks or anywhere in between. And then identify one or two actions with each of those people that you could do to put more money in the bank. And the final step is pick the one that you have the least amount in, the one who has the most number of minus signs and put those actions into place. And then figure out what the impact was. Was there an improvement? What did you see differently? And hopefully that will reinforce for you the importance of this. So why don't we wrap up with one final technique? And it's a little bit more than technique, it's really a, a framework, and that is creating a culture of accountability. We often talk about creating a culture of accountability is simple. Simple stands for, the S is for set expectations. The I is for invite commitment. The M is for measure progress. The P is for provide feedback. The L is link consequences. And the E is evaluate effectiveness. Put all that together, it spells simple. So what does it mean? It means having clear expectations of how you want people to work. And with that, invite some commitment. So for example, we were just working with a client and we've had the different roles clarify their expectations. So their expectation of staff, I expect you to first look at the training materials and see if you can find the solution yourself before you come and ask me. That is an example of an expectation. So you've got to set them, and then you've got to ask for some input and suggestions to make them more doable. And that's certainly the start of a culture of accountability. This whole idea, this concept of simple is a process by which you you hold people accountable. And as Anne points out, you set expectations first. Expectations are not your job description. Expectations are how you want people to behave, how you want them to do their jobs, when they're at work. We often talk about the fact that some people can achieve a task with very little, I'll use the word noise, you know, pretty, they're pretty quiet. They're very effective. They're just, you know, quietly competent and other people could get the same task done at the same quality, but it's a lot noisier, a lot more people involved, a lot more to and fro coming to you with questions, etc. They may both achieve the same one takes a lot more attention, takes a lot more effort to manage. So when you set expectations, you have the ability, and it is something as a manager you both have a right to do and you should be doing, is to say, here's how I'd like us to operate. 
in the office. And then with the rest of the simple process, you want commitments from people, you're going to hold them accountable, and you're going to make it a continuous improvement loop, if you like. From expectations, you're going to hear what you did well, because you have to do that. You're going to hear also what you didn't do well, the corrective side of feedback. And we just keep looping it back around. Hopefully everyone's performance gets raised and you've got a much more effective office. And And one set of expectations really is your company values. And uh, one of the things that often happens in companies is they have these values, they sit up on a poster, but people don't speak to them. They don't connect people's behaviors to them. So it's critical for your expectations, whether values or other ones you have, that you're giving feedback and you're saying, you know, I really appreciated the way that you went and asked those three stakeholders for their perspective before you brought forward ideas on how we would change the process. That's a great example of our value of collaboration. And I really appreciated the way you put it into play in this action. And so there I'm speaking to an expectation and I'm linking it to someone's behavior. And that is what is critical to creating a culture of accountability. And you know, you touch on values and and it reminds me that a lot of values for organizations collect dust on that little plaque that sits on the wall and everyone's got one in every meeting room, possibly on a, on a mouse mat. We often will encourage people and we help them do this, put actual behavioral statements beside each of your values so that people can understand how to behave. This is tied to expectations. If I know what you're looking for in terms of how you want me to do things, I'm more likely to meet your expectations, which is a good thing. So consider that as well. Managing people is what we started back in 2014. So it's been it's been seven years now. It's our greatest hits of what we find people value the most in their most difficult managerial task, which is managing people. You know, five modules where we talk a lot about things like delegation and relationship bank and other things and how to deal with what we call difficult employees. We all have some at some point. Managing people too is a shorter set of modules. It's only three, but it's more about kind of extending into some of those difficult conversations that we have to have as managers. There's often the part where we have to try and change expectations, deal with a behavior that's not what we're looking for. So when they're managing people too, we actually do some practice and we create some scripts for people and hope that they will actually go off and use them. People usually find that once they have the right words in place, these tasks are a lot easier to deal with. So we run both of these programs, as Michael said, one's five half days, one is three modules. They're interactive, they're virtual, and they include coaching calls. In between the session, they get a chance to actually have some time one-on-one on the phone and talk about how you are actually implementing the ideas. The other thing that people tell us is that it's not only incredibly practical material, but it really is highly interactive. We take your issues, your problems, and that's what we use for the exercises. That's what we use to make it meaningful. So if you'd like to learn more, we have a Managing People program starting in the fall, our original one. We have our Managing People 2 is starting in May. So uh, give us a call, go to our website, and we'd be happy to tell you more about it. Thanks very much. And if you want to have a conversation, we'll buy the coffee. Talk to you soon.